This Week at Hope Point. Prayer is essential because people who stray from God often participate in activities that open the door for demonic influence. No doubt about that. Get involved with drugs. Get involved with the drug world. The scripture is very clear that involves a new level of satanic attack. So that's why you need to pray because you, you're not just praying for normal stuff to happen. You're praying against evil. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. Every time I uh, preach on prayer, I come across a quote that, you know, sort of does it for me again, that that quote so stuns me that I see the Bible in a new way. And so in the preparation for this message, the quote that so rocked my world came from William Garnell. Nuclear wars cannot be won with rifles. Likewise, satanic warfare cannot be won with human energy. And so basically what he's saying is every day you leave your house into a a battlefield where there's going to be dark powers and don't enter that battlefield without the air cover of, of prayer. And that's why Paul ends this section on spiritual warfare that we've been in for months now with reminding us of prayer and going to divide it up as we end today in two ways. Just again, looking at the warfare part and then the prayer part. Ephesians 6, 12, our struggle is against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So this is just a reminder. There's not one square inch of earth that you could go to and not be tempted there. Now, there are places that you could go in foolishness. You're going to be really tempted. But no matter how strong you are, there's not one place you could go and say, I won't be tempted here. It's everywhere there is temptation. And one of the most effective ways to combat that is through prayer. Verse 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. So two weeks ago, we looked at that verse and said, in order to sort of pray continually, maybe it would help us if we divided our praying into three directions, prayers that are related to saying, God, thank you for, you know, all that he's doing your life. Help. This is way bigger than me, and then I'm sorry. So you focus on those three things, and it causes your prayer life to have a lot more focus. And so in relation to the help me prayer, I told you two weeks ago, you can't ask that too much. It's not like God ever gets tired of you saying that. And Jesus made that clear in a very unique parable in which he said that a widow who needed justice, got justice only because she kept pounding the door of the judge in the town. And this is how Jesus said it. Luke 18.5, because this is the judge speaking in his story. Because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. Now, Jesus was notorious at this. He would say something absurd, like, you think, is this like God? Is God like that? No. It's, he, he tells us the absurd so we'll know just the opposite That God is, of course, going to respond to your prayers because he loves for you to bombard him and knock, knock, knock. The fact that he knows how tempted we are to quit knocking, quit praying, is why he even told this parable to begin with. He told his disciples, I'm I'm going to tell you a parable about not quitting because I know you're about ready to quit. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. 
That's the purpose of the parable. He knew it's so easy to give up on, on prayer. You know, it's amazing. Pain, when pain first enters our life, pain is a great motivator to pray. We realize I'm hurting. I can't solve this. And so that pain actually helps us to pray. But the longer the pain stays in our life, the more that we're tempted to give up because we didn't see resolution. So the very thing that helped us to pray then eventually sort of thwarts our prayers because we think God should have answered more quickly. And God said, keep knocking, keep knocking. I remember when our grandson Wells got tall enough to discover our doorbell, like he rang it like a thousand times an hour and just driving you nuts. But God is not like, he loves for you to be ringing that doorbell all the time with the same request for, for help. So here's the first point of application. No matter how much you feel like that prayer is not doing anything, the right response is to always ask that prayer one more time. Just get used to that. It's always going to feel like it's not doing anything. I think prayer is a lot like trying to crank a chainsaw. When I crank, get out my chainsaw in my driveway, I just know that my first 20 pulls are probably going to yield nothing. And my neighbors sometimes hear my frustration <laughs> with that. But I don't know if there's anything more difficult to start in life than a chainsaw. And, but then all of a sudden, crank number t- like 21, pull 21, and that little two cycle, and that smell of oil, and we're off to the races. But just keep praying, 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 even when it looks like it's doing nothing. Paul encourages us to stay at it by bringing in sort of a a very strong word here. He says, be alert so that you'll always keep on praying. That is like, you know, just like if, if you are, just have this sense of urgency because things are really bigger and badder than, you know, you can handle. Be alert. Um, you know, Jesus on the last night of his, of his life was under tremendous strain and told his best friends, his disciples, my heart is breaking. I'm about to face something horrible. Would you pray for me? This is how, he, this is how Jesus voiced it that day. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So he goes and prays for a few minutes and comes back and look what he finds. Verse 40, he returned to his disciples, Matthew 26, and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me just for an hour, he said to Peter. These were his best friends and they, didn't, they weren't alert. They didn't sense there was urgency. Uh, it's an easy thing to fall asleep when things are most urgent, to lose our focus that the answer is always first and foremost prayer. It's always there. That's always the first place. But when you lose this sense of urgency that it's, we need to bring in the power of God, we, and Jesus said, he told several parables about when he returns, he's gonna find his church not ready, not alert, not praying because we, we lost, lost our, our focus. And I do 
think it's interesting that he would single out Peter here. Because in every organization, every group, every ministry, there's a leader. And if that leader goes down, then everybody else around him is going to start slacking off too. And so there's Peter. And so he said, Peter, you should have, you should have modeled this better for your men. And you're going to fall tonight, Peter, because you didn't pray. You didn't sense there was uh, problems coming and you gave up on prayer. And so what I love about this, Peter did fall that night. Jesus restored him, not just to leadership, but to even authorship. Peter got to write a couple books in the New Testament. And look what Peter says to his church about this concept of staying focused. First Peter 5, be alert. Same word that Jesus used to his disciples. Actually, it's a Greek word, which means Greek's pretty cool. You can use a word, uh, this word, and then you put a, the letter A in front of it. It means not that word. So like a, the word alert is formed by choosing the word sleepy and then putting the word not in front of it. So be not sleepy. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So you see in, in this verse where Peter's got it now, and he's saying the devil is never not seeking to bring pain into your life or somebody else's life through a disastrous decision. He's always doing It's not like the devil says, okay, June 1st through June 8th, I'm off. Going on vacation. I've been doing so much evil lately, I'm exhausted. And I need a break. I'll be back on June 9th to start it up again. He never does that. As soon as you leave here today, I cannot imagine what some of you are going to face. He's always seeking someone to devour. And let me just say this. There's never a time in your life where, let's say you have a temptation that is common to you, particular to you. There's never a time in your life when you should say, "Woo, I got this. I'm over this. This will never be a problem for me again. Never say that. Never say, you know, I could dabble, I could tiptoe there because I know how to say no at the last minute. No, he's always ready to bring you down to always live with urgency, alertness. There's always danger. And that's why a prayer every day, every day you should pray part of the Lord's prayer, Matthew 6, 13, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's amazing that Jesus put this in in that daily prayer uh, part of his teaching on prayer. So that's the gist of where we were two weeks ago. Uh, pray with urgency, pray all the time. So now there's another motivation that Jesus puts in here. How do you keep your prayer life up all the time? That's by including somebody else in your prayers other than, <laughs> other than you. <laughs> There's a lot of people that need to be prayed for, and that's how you can pray all the time. Ephesians 6, 18, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now, next week, I'm, I really can't wait to get there because I get to teach on you using up your prayer time for your pastor. Because that's how Paul ends Ephesians 6. Pray for those who lead you spiritually. I'm so desperate in need of it. I'll, I'll tell you how desperate I'm 
in need of it next week. So right now, but he just says, pray for all people. Next week, it'll be for your spiritual leaders and all the staff. So I just mentioned the Apostle Peter, how he says, stay alert. It's interesting how he connects being alert with how many people are relying on you to pray for them. That's, that's how you stay alert. Look how he finishes his sentence in 1 Peter 5. Be alert. Your enemy, the devil, around, uh, devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith. Here's why. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. That's what motivates you to pray for other people is you're hurting. Well, the person next to you, and it's amazing if you knew what was going on in this church today. Even what was shared with me between the services is profound. So just keep that in mind that, you know, if you're a true soldier in war, do you know who you're really probably most concerned about is the soldier next to you? That's, or, or, or an athlete. The, you know, if you're a guard, you're concerned about your tack, the tackle. It's like... Your teammate is hurting, needs your help. Uh, and I think that our lack of praying for other Christians reflects wh where we are in this particular cultural moment. We've gotten unbelievably self-absorbed with our own kingdom in this day and age. Just really concerned with my pain and uh, my family and... and, and the, I mean, it, I'll tell you this. I, I talked with somebody yesterday. There's no doubt about it that it's, it's a blanket that has descended upon, at least I'll say the states, maybe Western culture, but a spiritual exhaustion is occurring. Like I've, I've never seen it before and a growing wave of pessimism and it's caused people to, you know, I mean, it could, this pessimism, sometimes it comes from like we're weary, really weary with politics Real, we're, we're weary with social media. We're weary with absurd and evil news reports. And so it just caused us this retreat mentality. Like, I just want me and mine to be okay. And you have to admit it, where it's really easy to get there. So we're fleeing responsibility, we're fleeing sacrifice. And we're running to self-preservation rather than thinking about all the people that are hurting in the kingdom that need your prayers. So that's why Paul says, with this in mind, uh oh, with this in mind, keep praying for all the Lord's people. I received a phone call a few days ago from a friend, young friend in my life who had a, a uh, a dream that totally startled him. He dreamed that he was in his house at night and demons began to enter his home and he was there uh, in his bedroom and he was watching demons come and walk through his house and he, as a Christ follower, wanted to, you know, get rid of them uh, and he was, wanted to tell them to leave but like with all the dreams we've had, like, you know, where you can't run or you're running in slow motion, he could not speak watching them come in. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of his dream, his wife walks in the room 
and his lips, his mouth was freed, and he shouted, like literally at night in their bedroom, out! <laughs> so he called me and said a couple things. Do you think that was, can God speak to us? Does he, would he, in dreams? And what do you think might be that message? And I'm glad he called me because I do have my master's in dream interpretation. So call the right guy. Actually, I'm glad he did because he may could have called somebody else who thought he was you know, just not right. And I said, no, I can relate to this. And I definitely believe God can speak in ways like that that would you know, highlight the scripture, would never say something different than the scripture, but would just cause you to love a scripture teaching. So yes, he could. Secondly, if I were to guess what that might mean is, I told him this is what I would say. I would say that you need to go to your wife and tell her, I need you to pray for me more than you ever have. And I tell Lisa this. I said, you probably think I'm gonna get there somehow on Sunday. You just assume 37 years, he'll do it again. Don't assume that. Pray for me. I need my wife to pray for me. And so I said, that's what I would tell her. And pray for your business. Hey, honey, pray for my business. Pray for my personal battles. Pray for success, God's hand of favor on my life. And so everybody needs you to be praying for them. And I think that's why Paul, you know, sort of says, you know, I like, I just, it's just funny to me every time I read it. Pray for all the Lord's people. Well, that, that's a lot. That's a lot of people to pray for. And the only reason that I know all the Lord's people in the world is they all have my phone number. So that's, that's, that's how I can do that. But I don't think he says that because you're supposed to know everybody in you know, Mongolia and China and all that. But I think he says all just so you can understand that there's not one believer that you do know in your life that they don't severely need your prayer. That all people need prayer. Your prayers. All the people that are close to you. So then you could think about, well, you know, who's that? Let's say if we baptize some people today, there'd be a whole new group of people you could pray for. Uh, all the kids over there in HP Kids, you just be thinking about God, their teachers are teaching babies and younger children all the way up you know, to, to fifth graders, and then the students that are going to gather tonight. And I don't think you could ever find a greater population of need than our middle school and high school students. And then, of course, going into college, you, then, you, then you know the people that are with you in your life, your, your children, your friends that have shared major requests with you, and then missionaries that we introduce you to. And you would hear some more tonight of people to pray for, mission partners. But every one of them needs you to, to pray for them. Um, marriages, you could just never say that of God for the marriages in our church. Lord, for the straying children of parents in our church. You could never pray that. That's probably the predominant pain that I think I would say in our church, straying children. Of, of parents is what I would say is what I, I feel is the most common thing I, I hear. Well, I want to close the message today with a story of, of perseverance in prayer. It's a long story, but I feel like I need to tell it to you because if I said, hey, I want you to go watch this hour and 20 minute YouTube video, you're not going to. You're just that rebellious. 
So I'm going to tell you the story, and then you can go on to the website that we will provide for you. The website is provided on the sermon notes section of today's sermon, and you can watch this, this whole video. But I want to tell you the story. Oh, no, let me, let me, I am doing that. Let me just ask you a question. This will sort of let you know, do you pray for other people much? If all of your prayers for others were answered, what would you see? Like, would you see marriages restored, missionaries sent out, uh, children brought back to Christ? So are you just praying for you or are you praying for others? If all of your prayers were answered, would you see it affect other people? What would happen if all the prayers you prayed this week came true? Would any of those prayers affect other, other people? So here's the story I want to tell you. It's the story of uh, Leon and Angela Ewan. And just to give you a little context, I'll tell you a, bit, a little bit about that picture in a minute, but that's sort of before and now. But they, um, they, they met in the United States in 1964 uh, in, as Leon was in graduate school. And then in 1965, they were married a year later and uh, you know, thought that life was going to be happily ever after because they were married as young lovers. And Leon pursued his doctorate in physical chemistry. She worked, uh, Angela worked as a, a bank teller to support him. And then uh, when he graduated, along came child number one, Christopher, uh, Stephen, and child number two, uh, Christopher. Um, Leon later returned to dental school, got his doctorate, and opened up a dental practice, and, which was exciting for them because they wanted all the family to be involved in this sort of family dental practice, and both of their sons were involved, and so it was perfect. Family together, working together, and all of a sudden, one day, their perfect world became a very painful world when May 15th, 1993, their son, Christopher, came home. He had completed his first year of dental school and told them three words that changed their life. I am gay. Well, his parents had no idea that their well-behaved and uh, very talented son, musical, phenomenal talent, uh, had been uh, looking at gay pornography for quite a number of years beginning at age nine, and at age 16, had had his first homosexual experience. So when Christopher announced to his parents that he was going to continue to live uh, as a gay man, his mother, Angela, said, you must choose between the family and uh, a homosexual lifestyle. And without blinking, he said, I will pack my bags and be gone in an hour. He was, she said, it was a knife like a knife through her heart. Her husband blamed Angela. She had raised him too soft. And their marriage was already beginning to be on the rocks, 28 years of establishing a business and all of that. Tensions were high. They had already filed for divorce. Now with this uh, news, it was just all that the husband needed to say, I'm leaving the marriage his mother had a different plan. Angela said, I'm going to end my life. So uh, Angela had grown up in Taiwan. Uh, she was the daughter of a successful politician, her mother, uh, a career businesswoman. So she had been raised by nannies, and she made a vow, if I'm ever allowed to be a mother, 
I'm going to invest all of my life in my husband and my uh, children. And that was her God. She was uh, just a very resound, devout atheist. So her God was her family. And then when her family fell apart, her God was no more. So she, she got on a train, uh, was headed to Louisville where Christopher was in school, and she planned uh, to say goodbye to him and then go end her life. Well, on the train ride, something happened. She picked up a pamphlet that inexplicably she had gotten from a chaplain. Though an atheist, when she got news of Christopher's lifestyle choice, she went to see a chaplain. He gave her a pamphlet on homosexuality and the gospel. So she read in this pamphlet that all have sinned, all of us are sinners and are in need of Christ. But the, the verse that most affected her in that pamphlet was Romans. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me just say this. This is the story that's in the book that I'm telling you. Uh, Christopher and Angela Ewan wrote the book and it's on our website as well, the, the video link to this, but that's the name of the book. So when she read the pamphlet, what most affected her was Romans 8, 39, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And on that train ride to Louisville, Angela believed the gospel and yielded her life to Jesus Christ. When she saw her son, she, the, the, the visit was brief, and she parted with these words, I love you no matter what. And then she called the number on the back of the pamphlet. And a woman answered and chose to disciple Angela by, by phone for six weeks in her faith. And the woman also did another thing. And she called Angela's husband, Leon, and said, I've been discipling your wife for six weeks. Jesus has made her life beautiful, and I want you to consider Christ as well and at least support her. So her husband started going to church. He was reluctant. He said, this is unfair because now my wife is against me, and now she has God on her side. <laughs> but they attended church, and he even got involved in Bible study fellowship and gave his life to Christ. Three months before Christopher graduated from dental school, he got in trouble with the school and was expelled. And um, moved to Atlanta, uh, where he combined all of his lifestyle with heavy drug use. And to support his drug habit, he became a drug dealer uh, and sold drugs to drug dealers in 12 states. Now, during this time, Leon and Angela had no idea uh, of what Christopher's involvement was in the drug world. They just knew he was spiritually lost, and for them, that was the only thing that really mattered, which is true. So they, so they, they focused on his salvation. They went to... Every week, his mom wrote him a card... They lived in Chicago. She mailed it to Atlanta. Every week the card had a Bible verse and a phrase from a hymn that they had sung in church. And every week, though she didn't know this later, he threw the card away without reading it. Well, they went to visit him in Atlanta one weekend 
And he asked them to leave the house soon after they entered. And on the way out, his father said, well, I'm just going to at least leave you a Bible. And when the door shut, Christopher threw the Bible in the garbage can. So from a worldly perspective, you cannot get more hopeless than this. But instead of focusing on his behavior and the hopelessness of his choices, they focused on Jesus and the promises of Scripture. They just didn't keep staring at the problem. They stared at the only one who could answer the problem, God. And it kept their hope up. And so they also invited 100 people from their church. Would you please start praying with us for our son? Now, Angela in Chicago converted uh, an un, a bathroom shower that was not used uh, into a prayer closet. And at this time, she began to pray the boldest prayer that a mother can pray for her child. Do anything it takes to bring them to Christ. She fasted every Monday in that prayer closet for her son. And she prayed for a lot of other people in the church as well. If, when you see this picture, if you could see it more clearly, it is sticky notes all over. She was praying for a lot of people, not just her son. Every Monday she fasted and she did that for eight years. She wrote out a lot of her prayers. Some of them are still around. I'm gonna read you one of them, it's not on the board. This is her prayer she wrote. I will stand in the gap for Christopher. I will stand until the victory is won. Until Christopher's heart changes, I will stand in the gap every day and there I will fervently pray, Lord, don't let me waver. If things get quite rough, which they may, I will never give up on my son, nor will you. Though the enemy seeks to destroy my faith, I will not quit interceding. <clears throat> Though it may take years, I give you my fears, I give you my tears, I trust every moment that I plead. And she said that a lot of times during those eight years, it felt like nothing was happening. So get used to that. She said, but a lot was happening in my heart. I was really getting stronger. My husband was getting stronger. What we were praying for, it wasn't changing yet, but we had more hope, less hopelessness. Our marriage was better. So in her praying, uh, Angela Ask God for a miracle. Uh, obviously, every salvation is a miracle. And so she, she, God began to give that miracle, but you know how miracles are. They look different than what you think they're going to look like. And this is what it looked like for Christopher. With a loud knock on the door, he opened the door one day, and there were 12 drug enforcement agents there in Atlanta and two German shepherds. He was taken to the Atlanta Detention Center and began making phone calls to all of his friends that he partied with, and not one of them returned his call because that's the kind of friends you get when you live like that. They're done. They, none of them answered. None of them were going to help, which was an answer to prayer because Angela, his mom, had been praying, remove from my son's life the in, relational influences that bring him down. And that day, all of them left him. So then he had no choice but to call home. First time in years that he had called home to speak to his parents. So he was expecting the worst. And he said, when he heard his mother's voice, this is what came out of her lips. Are you okay? 
not condemnation, not anger, not I told you so, unconditional love. So when she hung up the phone, she tore off a piece of uh, white calculator tape and wrote down these first two answers to prayer as praises to God. Stephen has called home. I mean, Christopher has called home and Christopher is safe. Now, what she did through the years in order to keep her hope up is every time God gave her a kindness, she wrote it on that tape, knowing it was an answer to prayer. Not the answer, but it was a help during a hard day. God gave her something kind. So she began to tape little white pieces of paper from the calculator to the next piece of paper. And by the time Christopher got out, the, the tape was taller than she was, front and back, full of praises to God. Three days after he made that phone call to his parents, Christopher was walking in the cell block uh, and there was a trash can overflowing with garbage and he sensed in his spirit right then, this is what my life looks like inside. I have made a mess of everything. And on top of that garbage pile was a Bible. The New Testament. He took it to his uh, bed and read the book of Mark that night. A few days before Christmas of that year, he tested positive for HIV, called home. He was hopeless, broke his mother's heart. She had been praying for his safety the whole time. And she said she just dragged herself up the stairs into that prayer closet and began to, no words came out of her mouth. She just knelt and in silence, gave her tears to God until inside her heart, she heard music from within and the lyrics to, it is well with my soul, it is well. Didn't know what that meant. After Christopher left the nurse's office that day when he was told he was HIV positive, he went to his bunk, lay down, saw the metal bunk above him in, in, in jail, and he had always seen the profanity uh, and, you know, and, and just vulgarity and, and just other forms of graffiti above him. But in the corner of the bunk that day, he saw a phrase that said, if you ever get bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. So he opened up his Bible and read this. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And he said, in the most hopeless time of his life, how interesting it is that God would use words that were written by a prophet 2,500 years ago to a group of people in the Middle East to tell them that there was a future for them, to remind him there was a future for him. He said, the word of God is so powerful. God's word to Israel was now God's word to Christopher. This is what he would write in his biography later. For the rest of my life, I was going to live with this felony on my record, like a permanent stain branded on my soul. But with God, it seemed I had no record. I had no debt to be paid. I had no shameful past. I wanted that. Just the possibility of hope 
and a future seemed to brighten my gloomy cell, improve my dreary morning. Maybe I actually did have something to look forward to. And God began to transform Christopher's life. Soon he said no to drugs, other idols in his life. The last one to fall was a homosexual relationship that he was involved with still. He went to a prison chaplain who unfortunately did not believe the scripture and told him there is no sin uh, such as homosexuality. You could continue in that and still be a believer. And Christopher kept reading the Bible and God continued to tell him through Jesus Christ, uh, this is a sin and through Jesus Christ, I can give you freedom from being overpowered by your desires. Even if the desires are still there, they do not have to dominate you. I can give you power to resist that your answer is not to look for perfectly heterosexual feelings. The power, uh, what you need is Christ's presence in your life. Focus on Christ and not all your feelings. Well, the more he did that, the more God released power in his life. And then he began to sense that God was calling him surprisingly into full-time vocational ministry. So he wrote Moody Bible Institute from prison and said, I want to become a student online. And they said, well, you'll need three references. And so his three references were a chaplain, a prison guard, and a fellow inmate. And then his six-year sentence was reduced to three. He graduated, he got out of, uh, was released from prison in July 2001. He had, got his master's from Moody in 2005. He went to Wheaton and got his, uh, or the, his, his undergraduate in 2005, his master's from Wheaton in 2007, and his PhD from Wheaton in 2011, and today he's a professor at Moody Bible Institute. So four lessons we can learn from that and other things of prayer very quickly. Oh, there he is getting in his doctorate at Wheaton. Here we go. Continue to pray big and resist the urge to fix the outcome with your strength. Let me tell you something. You're going to be very tempted along the way when the person you're praying for is just misbehaving. You're going to want to focus on that thing or that thing or that. Don't do that. You've got a lot of bad things that are going to happen along the way. You pray for them to be saved. You focus on that. Pray for the big thing. There'll be a lot of disappointing little things. Uh, Angela was helped by Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer uh, I live, but Christ lives in me. She had to crucify all these little things like his hateful speech, his hateful responses. Nope, that's not, that's not what she wanted. It's not what she's praying for, for him to be a nice boy. She was praying for him to be a saved man. So crucify the little things, pray for the big things. Number two, let go of your timeline. I told somebody this week, you know, justice often takes a little bit longer than we think. The answer, just let go of your, God's ways are better, but his ways are often longer. Number three, prayer is essential because people who stray from God often participate in activities that open the door for demonic influence. No doubt about that. Get involved with drugs, get involved with the drug world. The scripture is very clear that involves a new level of satanic attack. So that's why you need to pray because you, you're not just praying for normal stuff to happen. You're praying against evil. Number four, stay grateful for God's provision for your life and his care for your pain. 
amazing that in the middle of all the things that are going wrong, if you'll look around, you'll see how sweet a tenderness is from heaven. Cling to that, rejoice in that. Uh, God will increase your joy day by day through the smallest pleasures that He sends you. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.